when you hear the word foster care, what do you think? Have you thought, oh, well, maybe I might be interested in doing foster care sometime or what can I do to help without doing foster care? Today, we have a guest that will give us some of the answers to those questions. Stay tuned. Welcome to the American Mothers Mom to Mom podcast, a show that lifts, encourages, supports, and educates mothers to do their best in their awesome responsibility to raise, teach, and champion the rising generation. Join us as we talk to and answer questions from mothers nationwide about the challenges, heartbreaks, joys, and lessons learned from one mother to another. Thank you for joining us today. I am your host, Deanne Taylor, and I'm so happy that we have a special guest, Katie Lampkin from Alabama. Now, Katie is an artist's daughter. Early, she learned her light against shadows. In you, she applied this through her strategies with depression. When she married Jamie, he called out her glory by seeking her gifts and character. God granted them three sons in three years. They then learned that they would not be able to parent biologically. Katie and Jamie turned to their hometown, Birmingham, and chose to be light in the darkness. Over a decade, they parented 82 children aged birth to 19 years through foster care. In July 2018, they discovered they were adopting two daughters. That same week, they were shocked to learn that they were also expecting their fourth biological child. Katie's life today is a dance of repentance and faith. She is a student of Jamie and her children, as well as a firm advocate for vulnerable children throughout the state of Alabama. I love this bio, but I love it most that you are a continual student of your husband and your children. I think as a mom, we need to remember we're always learning. Yes, I know. They're always becoming. Even our spouses that we're with for decades, you just watch them continuing to grow or to experience new things. And you realize like we're all continuing to become. And honestly, that we are allowed to be stewards of being students of them in the, each of those spaces. Like we're the ones that are called to that. It's such a sweet gift. I totally agree. I've recognized more and more as I've gotten older, how much I'm still learning and still progressing <laughs> and still growing through all of the other experiences that I have, especially with my family and children. <laughs> There's always something new being thrown at you that you never expected, but that's what makes life fun and interesting, right? That's right. And that makes you courageous too, because you're not locking yourself in. You're still a growing person. I think that's so beautiful and courageous. Well, I think we all look forward to that most of the time. There are times where, <laughs> can we just take this away now? I'm done with this. Yes, yes. But we learned through that. I also love that you became involved with the foster program. I think that's amazing. I hadn't thought about this until I started preparing to talk to you. Years ago in the mid-90s, we thought about fostering a deaf child. Okay. And we struggled with that. I knew sign language, but the rest of the family didn't. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be really challenging for everybody. But just before we put in the paperwork, we found out my husband's mother needed to move in with us. Oh, so yes. I decided that was going to be enough for our family at one time. And yeah. If we could do it later, we would, but but we didn't. And I tell a lot of people who are exploring foster care or even foster families, that's even being a student of your family. After we had our big, we call them the big last three that came through and we began helping take care of Jamie's father who became terminally ill. 
we have to pause for a season, even though that was our deepest love. And we reopened for a little while after we had Isaac um, and then had the chance to walk Jamie's dad into heaven until this past year. And so it's being wise of knowing your season and knowing your circumstances to love your family well, too. I think that applies to everything, but especially when you bring other people into your home who have their own issues that you need to deal with and have your family adjust to those in the process. Mm-hmm. I'd like to share some statistics from 2021 with our audience. In that year, 2021, there are 206,867 children under the age of 18 who entered the foster care system. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty astounding to me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, according to David Thomas Foundation for Adoption, children are placed in foster care after and during mostly abuse, parental mm-hmm. drug use, or other issues that made their home unsafe. So they had to be removed from their families. And every day, 50 children age out of the foster care system with no family support. I have a friend who has worked hard to provide information for kids who are aging out because he was one of those who aged out. Wow. And two statistics. One was really sad. One I thought is hopeful. Four states have over 10,000 kids every year enter foster care. Mm. And 10 states had below 1,000 kids who entered foster care. Mm. And I thought that was encouraging, only less Mm -hmm. than 1,000. And they were not all the lowest population states, by the way. I need to add that. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's a lot of help that can be had, a lot of support in a lot of ways for these foster kids. You decided to foster, and then you ended up adopting some. Would you please tell us a little bit more about the foster process and how it worked for you and maybe families? Yeah, we actually started out, our hearts were always thinking about adoption. And when we began realizing that we didn't think we could have more children, we actually began an international adoption. We were going to be the pilot program, the first family to go to Uganda. And our second son at the time became really sick. And it was obvious we weren't going to be able to travel at that time. They were staying six months and be there because he was in and out of the hospital. And so a private agency here in town had just piloted a foster care program. They said, would you be interested? Sadly, I think that the state gets a bad name sometimes. And so we were really scared of that and wanted more boundaries. So we took the foster care classes. I always tell people who are exploring that idea, the classes seem like a long time. They're 10 weeks. But if you think about it, if you were to put your child in someone else's family, you would want them to be the most educated people around and know how to care for a child that's been through a hard place. And we just learned so much. It actually, we claim it saved our parenting with our middle child who had been through all the medical trauma because we just learned that kids come from hard places and they're not like you and I were talking earlier. They're not all the same and to study their differences and to understand what approaches they need as they encounter the world. So after that, we began our first cases were internationally displaced adoptions, which are children who have been adopted internationally. And then for whatever reason, the adoptive parent decides they cannot care for them. And so we would take those kids pretty much from all over the country. Our first one was um, a sweet 15-year-old girl from China, and she had been in the States for two months, and she couldn't speak a word of English. So we would stay up all night doing Chinese soap operas with Google Translate Chinese for me to learn how to speak her language and do different things. And two days later, we received a little Hispanic baby that the family completely spoke Spanish. And so God used that just to kind of 
break open our boundaries and understand things. And so we had kids just about from every nationality and language throughout that whole season. Predominantly, we wanted to take younger, but of course, our first one was really an older child. Then we began moving into a lot of older kids who kind of matched the ages of our boys. We became aware of a little girl who had the exact same medical needs as our son at the time, had the same doctors. At that time, she was about three, but had already been through and it's been about three months, the about 10 different homes. And we heard about her and someone heard that we had been aware with that. So we ended up moving to the state to be able to take her. She actually ended up becoming our little Ava Joy and she has changed our lives and I love her so much. She is just a constant joy, just a sunbeam all the time. How old is and she now? She's actually at gymnastics camp in Tennessee this week, but she is 10. Our boys are all through birth and then our girls are through adoption. And we didn't plan that. We actually fostered about 80 children before we ever had the chance to adopt. So a lot of people when to come into foster care for adoption. I'm kind of like, know what you're able to handle. Because I know so many of my friends who faced infertility. Of course, we had secondary, even though it was after three boys. It is a unique experience. And many states don't offer the option of foster to adopt. So, and every state has different rules for when a child can, that case can go to termination. For example, we had our second child uh, that we adopted, Bentley Hope. Actually, it was a case we thought was going to be very clean cut and it ended up taking almost four years due to government and Supreme Court and different things that became involved. So it's just a unique experience and it takes a lot of grit and determination and like we were talking about, we realize we have to know ourselves because I'm a real big preacher and advocate for the reality that I think a lot of social workers and a lot of foster parents and a lot of people who are walking with these vulnerable families and children, they experience secondary trauma without realizing it. And when you're doing it again and again and again, suddenly you look up and you're like, oh my goodness, have I really adequately walk through what I need to walk through to be able to care for them well, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. When you talked about the trauma, that's something that came to my head when you were talking to children in and out that have different issues. We talked uh, offline about we learn so much from our children. I put the temporary care. How traumatic is that? Because you bring different circumstances. How does that impact your family? Because they have to be on board for this and they need to know that it isn't going to be easy. And the relationship is not going to be like their typical brother until there's trust and confidence. And if they're there long enough, because most foster kids don't stay long enough mm-hmm. to develop the trust and the encouragement of a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really strive to be able to date our forever kids, whatever that looked like, in addition to when we had the kids from care in the home and date each other because it was like we were constantly having to check in. At first, the state has gotten so much better about this, but in the beginning, it's so challenging to say no because the need is just so great. At that point, when we started, I think Alabama was licensing pretty much every home for six kids in care in addition to whatever their forever children. So if you have six kids and you're licensed for six more kids, you suddenly have 12 kids in the home. And that didn't count like respite care, all those things. And I can remember a season when we had on a regular basis, 10 kids in the home just coming through. There were many times when our boys would wake up and say, oh, who's that place for? Or who, whose suitcase is that? Who showed up during the night? What a unique thing it was though. When our son, who's now just finished his freshman year, 
he had to write his college essays and I've got another one preparing his college essays to get ready to apply. But when I began to actually read the impact of how this had sobered them to the world and changed their hearts, uh, but also really wounded them in different places that maybe they couldn't articulate five years ago. It's a really sober place to be able to be the safe place that your kids experience some of those things because we did. We sometimes had drugs in the home and suicide attempts. We didn't really fully understand and different things that we would try to be mindful of, but you never know that kid doesn't even know what they're going to walk through or how they're going to process something when things are really hard. So getting to now to be a place where our boys particularly, because our girls will grow into that at times, but our boys who had kind of walked through all of that for, for them to be able to say things that sometimes you're like, Oh, that's hard to hear, but receive it and walk with them in that and help them to understand the world better. It's just a really sacred space. We kind of always said we are grateful we get to walk with them and encountering some of these hard truths in our home rather than them figuring it out for themselves in the world, if that makes sense. Oh, yes. And then relying on a peer or someone who might not have the same basic belief system as you do. I value that in our home. We've had a lot of non-official fosters in our home. We've had a lot of people that have just come and lived with us. And so my children have learned that... Our door is open to help mm-hmm. others and it's not always easy. And when you have, we like our family time mm-hmm. and I know you do too. But yes. when you have these foster children come in and you don't always know if they're going to be long-term or temporary, do you? Mm-hmm. No, no. And so how, fact- how has it worked to bring them into that family circle? Have they accepted that at all or just are they still kind of no, I'm not ready for this yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you have all different spheres depending on the age. And most of the time, like you were saying, I can remember we got a call one night and they said, hey, this case is going to adoption fast. And then she ended up being with us for two days and went home. And then we had a set of three girls that were triplets with our boys and like as in ages. But anyway, they said they're going to be here for about three days and they lived with us for two and a half years. Uh, and so... It was the biggest thing I always strive in, like I get to teach classes for the state of Alabama, is giving those children voice. And so, for example, letting them, what is it that you love to do most with your mom or dad or your grandmother? And so let's take that piece and that tradition and work it into our world too, so that you know that it has value. And even getting to take pictures of whatever that looks like and making sure mom and dad or whoever gets copies of it. My friends who have walked through divorce or different things really is an aspect, a little bit of, I got to learn from them, like what it looks like to be a blended family, because you are blended. It's not the same necessarily, but you are blending two different worlds that are very different than yours, sometimes culturally, racially, spiritually, and in all these different ways. So how do you honor both and teach your kids? You're getting to teach your forever kids. We get to honor people who don't understand the world or believe the world like we do. And in the same way, they're learning to live and do life with people that don't understand it like them. And so it's a process of humility, like we were talking about earlier, I think. I think that's really a good point that you are dealing with a lot of different cultures and backgrounds. I like that you talked about connecting with the families the biological families. Is that encouraged? And I love the way you did it. You incorporate one of their traditions into your family so they feel like it's important. I think that's amazing 
that you mm -hmm. did that. I'm sure not all foster families do that. But what kind of connection usually does this child have with their biological family? Well, first off, I didn't always do it well. And sometimes my husband is sometimes still, even now when we navigate different relationships with our children's extended families, it's just that I feel like I just enter it going, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> Give me grace, like we were saying. But when you look at the goal of foster care is always reunification first. Usually that's running two tracks. So like they may have a plan B and a plan A, and those plans are going simultaneously to see which one kind of navigates. But even if it's not back to mom or dad, they're looking for a relative. We've had kids live with us for a year and a half and then go out to Washington State to an aunt or an uncle. And that can be really painful because I'm the one that's had this kid for the last two years of their lives. And how can that person they've never really met be better? My husband was really good. Jamie's really good about saying like, we are for that birth parent. Our first goal is to advocate for that child. Our second goal is to believe in the birth parent. And we are for you as long as you continuing to be for yourself too. So as long as you continue to work the plan and we explain it to the kids with their parents as doing their homework, whatever it is, um, all of us have different homework in this process. And as long as we're moving forward, then we're continuing to grow and continuing to fight for you. It's when those two plans no longer intersect that we have to begin advocating in a different manner. But even in that, like, I think that it's a sobering thing when you began doing it for a long time and you had child after child after child, and then all those children started coming, returning into care for various reasons. Mm. That's the place that begins to get really challenging. And you're just having to pray through that. Just even a year ago, we had a past kiddo from almost 12 years ago call us and she said, my mom passed from COVID and nobody's here. Will you show up? And so those spaces that when you begin foster care, you think it's determined by the time they're in your home. And then as you continue, you realize there are spaces, these, these kids, they keep returning, whether it's for your impact or for um, just your voice or for your repentant uh, telling them that I'm sorry I messed up with you whatever that looks like or just to see their handprints on the wall they will come back because they have spaces of trying to put their stories together and we've had that from some of the, those calls from some of the hardest places and those sobering places but I think you also in that same moment are like wow I'm being invited to be part of this life that I never would have even known it's not to be about me well, it does say a lot about you and Jamie and your family because you've yeah. opened your home, you've made them feel welcome, and they would not have any desire to reach back out to you if they did not feel something, some value that you gave them during their stay with you. You know, I get a little emotional on that right now means a lot to me that, well, you have such a big heart and they know it. It's a, well, and I don't, they, they don't know like you'll it. be there. They know, they know you'll be there for them when they need you. And that says a lot about you and Jamie and your family. You're very kind. Every time a child leaves, you're sitting there going, oh, I should have done that differently. Nothing has taught me more that I don't know anything other than foster care. <laughs> so I thought my marriage had done that. I thought my children had, but then you start doing this and you're like, I, I used to look at the world so absolute. And you were like, there's just so many hurting people that are trying to make life work in the hard place. So it's a sacred thing and vulnerable on their part to say, you come in and you be part of my life and you've got my kids. That takes a lot of courage. I tell people who are considering foster care a lot of the time, the vast majority of us 
can't even kick a caffeine habit or a sugar habit or whatever that is. And these people are not just trying to kick their habits. They're kicking their habits when they have no resources and no support system. And they've never been taught to be a mom or a dad because some of them are third generation foster care. They are trying to break an entire generational cycle. And that takes a lot of courage. It does. It's really difficult because you don't have anybody to fall back on. You have to yes. find a mentor. You have to find someone like you, Katie, that they can fall back on. And remember, well, Katie did this. What do they call you? They call you mom? They call you mom, Katie? What do they do? Yeah, we did a lot of mama Katie and daddy Jamie. And then our teens, we just let them call us Katie or Jamie. Sometimes if they hadn't seen their mom in a long, like some of them had never, maybe mom or dad had passed away or they had not seen them since birth. Those are hard places. One of our adoptive daughters still navigate some of those different titles and things. So it's just walking it with grace because my whole thing is if someone was forcing me to choose what to call them or whatever, when you're suddenly dropped in a stranger's house in the middle of a holiday and you have to share rooms and all the things, I mean, that's terrifying. So they get free reign over that to begin with. And then we navigate it from there. That makes total sense because they have to gain that trust or that feeling of mm -hmm. being accepted or needed as part of your family because right yeah. now they don't feel like anybody wants them or needs them. That was just so wise. Our goal when we have kids that come into care is to, and for the parents, but is to teach them that they're worthwhile, lovable, capable, and responsible. And so for them to realize you're needed here, it's not just that you need us, you're needed in this family unit, just like your family needs you um, and the community needs your voice and they need the gifts that you've been given. So helping them understand, because in truth, the reality is that in kids who have been through foster care, they have the highest suicide rate. So really helping them understand deep inside, like this community, this world, this family, these people, we need your voice. Everybody has downtimes and everybody needs to be listened yeah. And mm -hmm. they are given the opportunity for their parents, their biological family, to get to a better place, to get them back with their home. If they can understand that and not feel it's my fault, but mm -hmm. that's really hard not to feel when they're the one taken away. I know that's a yes. real challenge. Haiti, there's probably lots of mothers out there who are thinking, I would like to consider foster care. How can they and their families prepare for that kind of a decision? that kind of a change in their lifestyle and their family. Yeah, I think that first off, if you're even considering it, like at least explore it, but first be a student of your marriage and your children, the forever children in your home, of your community and neighborhood, because all of those things are going to impact that child. Also be open to understanding that once you step into this world, you're committing yourself to learn so much more than you could imagine. I always say that all those debates going on up on the government level, these children are the children of those debates happening, the products of all those issues and crises that are going throughout our communities. Be willing not to have the answers and to ask for help and just to be comfortable in the gray. Know that you're not going to be the end all. We would get a child and we'd be like, okay, we may have this child for one week. So in one week, how can we better their lives than how they came back? And it might be, we're going to go to the dentist every day and get every tooth fixed so there's no more pain. Or it might be, we're going to make sure that they're going home with food and that they're taken care of. And I think too, just a reality, our goal, like Jamie and I's dream and prayer was always, the goal would be about 
foster care, but that those kids would never even have to enter care. So consider even being a mentor to a mom or a dad that's in a vulnerable position. Because if you walk with that parent, that kid may never even have to enter the foster care system. These adults were one day the kids that were needing to be in the system. And so creating those crossroads and those interventions and finding ways to advocate for vulnerable families and families in crisis as a whole is going to be the answer to our future communities and for the states and the resources and just all of that. It's so much bigger. So there's small steps we can begin to take to equip and empower our community and the leaders in our communities to help them see. And then just really, like I've said, be a student of your marriage, be a student of your family, because there may be a season that you're able to do this and God may prepare your heart for a decade and then you're able to step in. I always tell people that even if you're allowing it to stir in your heart and walk through the process, that's a step in growing in awareness, whether it be for you or someone else, and you can grow from that. That's really a good idea. You had mentioned at one point when we weren't recording that something else you could think about if you can't do foster care yourself, you kind of alluded to it here, you can help mentors. Maybe you could bring meals to Mm -hmm. a family who has a foster child. And even that, creating a relationship with the child through that and the family through that, that'll help you get a better understanding of what the process entails. And it might make a decision for yourself too. One of the greatest gifts that would happen to us at that, there was a point where just there had been a hiccup and we thought a case was about to leave and we weren't going to take another one. But then they said, well, it's just going to be an overlap of two weeks. And we ended up with about nine children in the home at the time. And it was way more than I was It was just, we were stretched to the max and we had thought it was only going to be for a week and then it went longer. So I had some older women that were probably in their sixties and they all got together and each one adopted one of the kids in our home, metaphorically. And so once a week, they each came and got their child and took them out on a special outing. But the sweetest thing is those kids now have probably been gone, some of them for seven years and those women still write to them. and and are still the touch point. And that's something beyond me because I can only be so much and that they've continued something that even I couldn't do. And so there's just always a place that you can touch. We were talking about the children in our neighborhood. Sometimes you being just a safe place for that child outside the family, we just were made for community to do life together. Being a grandmother, there's so many children that do not have grandparents close. Mm. And it's fun to see one of them came up to church and saw me standing by the door to go in and he came and gave me a big hug, just grabbed me around the legs and gave me a big hug because her grandparents aren't close. Mm -hmm. And that warms my heart that we have the opportunity to share ourselves with others who need that. Maybe just a hug is all they needed right then, but they know we're there for them. And I think that's amazing. And that's what you've been for so many foster children. And I'm yeah. sure friends and family and friends of friends. <laughs> well, it's because one of the things I learned early on through older women that spoke into my life was that mothering's not a noun. It's not a title. Mothering and fathering, it's a verb. It's an active being. And so many people mothered and fathered Jamie and I when we were in hard places or in challenging times and spoke into our lives. And because of that, it's just like, this is what we're called to do if we believe. And I have friends who never have had biological children or even adoptive children, but they've been maybe a spiritual or a physical 
mother to me in different places. And that's such a gift. And I really think if we all stepped into that perspective, really beautiful things come from that. And you are definitely an example of that, Katie. Thank you so much for sharing time with us today. We want to encourage our listeners to consider foster care mm -hmm. or look into it and see what you could do to support maybe someone in the neighborhood who is going through a challenging time. I think there are some really, really good ideas that can help us be better citizens of our community to help be the village that our children and our mm -hmm. neighbors need. Again, thank yes. you, Katie. And thank uh, you, have a good evening. Thank you so much. I'm grateful for you. I hope some of your questions about foster care have been answered by Katie. It's a huge responsibility, but a great joy if your family is ready for this big step in their lives. Be sure and join us next time. We have a really exciting episode for you. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, because frankly, right now, I'm not exactly sure, but it will help you through the summer and helping with your children. Have a good one so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of mom-to-mom -mom encouragement. We understand that being a mother can be overwhelming, but we hope that you found something useful you can apply to your own life. We invite you to share this episode with a friend who might also enjoy the message. The mission of American Mothers is to support mothers, empowering them to positively impact their families and communities. We want each one of you to discover and share your innate, inherent, and natural abilities to bless your children and others. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the American Mothers Mom to Mom podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of American Mothers Incorporated, its members or employees. AMI is not responsible for, nor does it verify the accuracy of the information contained in the podcast, nor does the series constitute any professional advice or services. We look forward to visiting with you one mom to another. Until then, just do your best at mothering and remember you're not alone. You've got an army of mothers all around you cheering you on.